welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode 12 of the podcast. After a demoralizing week one loss to the Cardinals, the Niners traveled to New York to play the Jets in a likely but must-win week two game. And let me tell you, today's podcast is going to be a good one as we do react to that week one loss against the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to preview the week two matchup against the Jets and what to make of Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan after what was an ugly week one performance. Joining us today, he's a creator and host of the 49ers Rush podcast, John Chapman. Jonathan, let's jump right in to today. The Niners, they made some headlines this week when rumors started swirling about possibly trading for Allen Robinson from the Bears, Odell Beckham Jr. from the Browns. But the Niners are gonna Niner, and they signed another former Kyle Shanahan system player in Mohamed Sanu. My question to you is, while I don't believe Sanu is going to have the same impact that Emmanuel Sanders had on the field, I think he'll be a solid number three, maybe a number four receiver at best, but I think he'll add a veteran presence to a fairly inexperienced receiver group. One, I want to ask you, what do you expect from Sanu this season, and do you think he's going to be on the roster uh, the entire season, or is he a stopgap player until Debo Samuel's healthy? Yeah, uh, Sterling, I, I think you kind of hit on a few things. And one, I just want to say, big fan of the show, so I uh, appreciate you having me on. And, and, you know, you talk about Mohamed Sanu, and we have another member of the Kyle Shanahan Loyalty Project. Uh, if you played for the guy anywhere, you just you you got to thank your lucky stars because you know at some point he's going to bring you wherever he goes. Uh, he just keeps uh, people around him that have been there. Now, Sanu's interesting because the 49ers targeted him last year, and they wanted him over Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. They were, The first target was trading for Mohamed Sanu. Now, they drove the cost up for the New England Patriots, who eventually had to spend a second. Um, we end up landing Emmanuel Sanders. It worked out great. Uh, but now, whenever the Patriots cut Sanu, okay, and I think this is important, because, yes, you're claiming a person that was cut and made it all the way through week one without being claimed. All those things are viable. However, a lot of wide receivers don't pan out in the New England system. Um, you can go all the way back as far as you know Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, things like that. The wide receiver situation in that offense is different. So the 49ers get a guy. Mohamed Sanu, who's been around Shanahan in Atlanta and had some really, really good years. Now, do I think that he's going to be, you know, a true number two or whatever? I don't think so. But in the current situation, I have no problem <laughs> placing Mohamed Sanu over Dante Pettis, who started last week, by the way. Um, so while the wide receivers are definitely shaky at best with so many different injuries, I don't think that he's going to be a starter. Um, you know, I would put him as far as outside wide receivers. When everybody is healthy, I'd say it goes Debo, Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, then Muhammad Sanu at the outside. Um, and then, of course, you know, you got Trent Taylor coming in three wide receiver sets. So I, I think that's kind of his position. Um, it's basically a move that's going to give depth because he can play all three spots. And it kind of pushes Dante Pettis out of the rotation, which I think is what's best for the 49ers uh, currently. I want to ask you about Dante Pettis because I'm pretty sure we both saw on Twitter after Sanu signed that people were saying Pettis is done, his career's over with San Francisco. But 
the history to Richie James, uh, the injury to him with the hamstring, I would assume that keeps Pettis at least on the roster as a special teams player and maybe a, a depth receiver, at least until the Niners have a full healthy receiver group. Uh, what does San Francisco, like, what do you think they do with Pettis once Debo, uh, Ayuk should be back this week, but once Debo's healthy uh, and, and they have the whole group ready to go come hopefully week five or six, is Pettis the odd man looking out? Like, are, are they going to cut him? Or are they going to trade him? His trade value, I'm sure, is at the rock bottom at the moment. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty there, but I don't feel like Shanahan and Lynch would just wash their hands of Dante Pettis and would at least keep him around knowing how much injuries have hit this team so early in 2020. Yeah, there's not much you can do with him, to be honest with you. One, he's on a cheap rookie deal, right? Uh, you know, even if you cut him or trade him, you might be able to save $1 million in cap, but it's not really doing you any favors. Now, the, the thing that is interesting to me, and I think Dante Pettis has survived the NFL through attrition of others. It's just what it's been. And <laughs> he got pretty lucky with this week one start. And he totally squandered it. Uh, you yeah. look at pro football focus grades. You look at whatever. He's the lowest graded person on the entire team offense defense for either team. Um, now you could say, okay, well, he only got one target. And he, it wasn't a very good pass. Whatever. Not separation. Not great in run blocking. Uh, just There's so many different aspects. He missed his opportunity. So the reason why he stays is exactly what you alluded to. It's it's easy to forget this guy still holds the record for most punt returns for a touchdown in the history of the NCAA. So he has that. He finally got his very first punt return after Richie James got injured, um, and he finally got his first one. So what I think we're going to see is you're going to have Trent Taylor handling the majority of punts with Dante Pettis sprinkled in whenever there's a chance for a big return. Um, and I think that, again, he can back up all the wide receivers, so he is going to be safe his roster spot for now. You can't trade him. As you said, nobody wants this guy. If you cannot succeed in this offense, which you know Kyle, Dante Pettis is engineered for with the way his, his game style is, but there's just so much drama behind him. Uh, people don't want players that don't respond to criticism, has been well documented by Pettis. I, I think he's – once everybody's healthy, we'll see very similar to what we had in the Super Bowl where he's just a healthy scratch. You keep him around, um, and you know he's a bottom-of-the-roster guy. If somebody gets injured, you call him up. But the goal is for him to get no snaps, maybe one to two punt returns a game. That's basically it for his career in San Francisco now. And that's tough to hear, but honestly, it makes sense. You, you hear all in camp about how Grady played and, and all the expectations. I know I bought in. I said, you know – Everything I've heard is good. He's the mentality's better. Shanahan talked him up. Lynch talked him up. Jimmy Garoppolo talked him up. His receiver peers talked him up, saying the mentality's changed. He's more physical, more aggressive. And then week one comes, and this is where I want to dive into week one here. The Niners lose twenty-four to twenty, and Dante Pettis, along with the rest of the receivers, are a non-factor. And looking at week one. All I can say is, all the talk of revenge tour, we're ready to get back out there, is done. It's over. I'm not saying they're not going to go back to the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, it's only week one. Let's not lose our heads here. But I watched week one sitting in the 957 The Game studio uh, after working kickoff show and getting ready for overtime. And I sat there demoralized, upset at what I saw. Uh, you don't get to hype your team up, your fans up to buy into this revenge tour and then go out there and not show up for three and a half quarters. 
pretty much. Uh, the Niners basically played three drives on offense and two quarters on defense, and after that didn't do anything. The pass rush, non-existent, and I get it, D-Hop, new receiver in a new system, really didn't have a lot of tape on him in Kingsbury's system, so that's kind of a feel-out game as to what he's going to do, but he was unstoppable, practically unguardable, and I'm not going to lie here, I bought in. I was preaching revenge tour, Super Bowl 2020, here we come, and again, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but... The, and again, the Niners could easily win their next six games, be 6-1, and one, heading into week eight against Seattle. Debo, Ayuk healthy, Sherman back healthy, uh, Richburg's coming back, uh, Garland's healthy, the whole team's healthy, Kittle doesn't have the knee sprain anymore, and, and have week one as a distant memory of what happened, And but that's a possible future, and right now we're living in the present, and the Niners are 0-1 after an embarrassing loss. So, Jonathan, I want to ask you, as you're sitting there watching, it, maybe you're dumbfounded as to how did we lose this game, knowing the injuries they had. What was the initial response after the loss to the Cardinals on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it hurt. There's no doubt about that. And and so I'm a big history guy. I'm a history buff. And so one of my favorite things that I do before every game, as I'm kind of planning things out, I look at the history of the matchup, right? And unfortunately, the sad reality is this. The, the last 11 games versus the Arizona Cardinals, the 49ers have won two. They're two and nine. Now, both yeah. those victories came in the 2019 season. And guess what? Probably two of the toughest victories the 49ers had last year. Sometimes teams just match up better with other teams. And so, you know, if I'm trying to help myself sleep at night, that's what I'm telling myself, right? Hey, look. Cardinals always play the 49ers tough, period. We're kind of their rival. They don't have a rival. They don't really fit. Uh, Everybody kind of sees them as kind of you know the little brother of the NFC West. <laughs> but this is a big game for them, and they showed up. Now, why did the 49ers lose this game? There's a myriad of issues there. But one, you know, I think it starts with um, you know special teams. And I think you know you lost the game by four. And play calling, I think that's huge as well because you get the punt blocked by number 27. I don't even want to say his dang name because I get so frustrated. Everybody listening to my podcast understands, which the 49ers just called him up to the active uh, squad. So there's a chance uh, Dante Johnson might be a starting corner week two in the NFL yeah. for <laughs> the NFC champions. That's It's awful. That's, that's trash. It's trash. Um, yeah. The personneling was bad. Now that so that's one. So the, the blocked punt that was a seven point swing, perhaps even more than a seven point swing. And number two, the play calling. If you remember, and I don't want to say this isn't necessarily on Jarek McKinnon, but you know it's it's third and eight. They throw a five yard pass short of the sticks. Jarek McK- it's a bad pass from Jimmy Garoppolo. Had a terrible game. Jarek McKinnon drops it. They end up punting. If they would have attempted the field goal at the point. Um, at that point, it would have been a 54-yard field goal. Now, Robbie Gold made a 52-yard field goal earlier, and they decided 54 was just too much, and they went ahead and punted the ball away. But I think that you got to give that chance. If, imagine if the 49ers had that 23, and then you can kick a field goal to win it at the end instead of forcing yourself into the touchdown because here's the problem, okay? Third downs and red zone success. They were awful. <laughs> you go two for nine basically on third downs and 0 for two on fourth downs. And then on top of that, you're not scoring points in the red zone. And the probably biggest critique of Kyle Shanahan, regardless of where he's been, outside of the 2016 season with the, the Falcons, he has been awful 
in the red zone. He can't convert to touchdowns, which is crazy because the 49ers scored the second most points last year. And that was in light of being below average in red zone success rate. So something has to change there. They've got to run the football more. This is a team, even in the week one loss, they averaged 4.9 yards per carry. But when the game got on the line in the fourth quarter, they almost abandoned the run game completely. And this was a one-possession game all the way down to the end. It was never out of reach. You were never really stressed for time besides, you know, the second part of, you know, once they crossed the 50 on that very last possession. But I, I love Kyle Shanahan. I think he is a top-five head coach and play caller in the NFL. But just because you, you love somebody and you're glad they're with your team, that doesn't mean you can't critique the parts that have to be corrected. And so I think play calling and red zones, that's huge. And your kicker's been fire. Uh, I would much rather, I wish they would have tried to go for that 54-yard field goal. Um, I think that would have changed kind of what happened down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of getting ahead of me here, but I think right now is is, a, is the best time to let's talk about Kyle Shanahan. And uh, Jonathan, it, it was tough because I watched that game and I said, it's happening all over again. And I get it, week one, let's not panic here. But after having to suffer through the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and the way this second half, arguably quarters two through four went against Arizona, uh, there was already a lot of heat on Shanahan from last February. And now the Niners are 0-1. Shanahan was bad in Game 1 against the Cardinals. I have no idea why. I heard there was maybe reasons of Debo, Hurd, and Ayuk being out really changed everything. But you had two months to prepare with them healthy. You had one and a half weeks to prepare with them not healthy. I know Debo was kind of a, a late scratch and threw things off. But Shanahan has said, uh, post-game presser, that the scheme was to run the ball. But then you look at the stats, and he only ran the ball 24 times, excluding one Jimmy Garoppolo scramble. And I think that gets me to my biggest point here is that, and I don't want to just come in here and destroy Kyle Shanahan, but I think Niner fans need to admit Kyle Shanahan has more flaws than people think he does. That doesn't mean that he's not a great coach or one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, but what that does mean is that Kyle Shanahan gets away from the team's identity when it matters most. The Niners are a run-first, play-action offense, and at times, especially when the Niners are up or they feel a little comfortable, Shanahan abandons what works most. It costs them in the Super Bowl. It costs them on Sunday. And to me, if he's not careful, it could almost cost them another shot at the Lombardi Trophy. And so my question is to you, Jonathan, before we get into Jimmy Garoppolo and the rest of the game, uh, week one against the Cardinals, do you think the view that fans have of Kyle Shanahan has changed from February to week one of the NFL season, especially after Sunday, or is it something Niner fans have very little to worry about in their quote-unquote revenge tour or quest for six moving forward? No, I, th I think you're on to something because here here's the epitome of the, the mindset that Kyle Shanahan seems to dictate his game plan through. I'm going to go where they are not. And because of that, let's say Arizona, they bring an extra safety into the box. He will get rid of the running game. We saw this last year, too, in both games against Arizona, where he almost went to an exclusive empty package and just let Jimmy Garoppolo pick him apart in man coverage. Well, that, that worked whenever you had Debo, you know, and you had Emmanuel Sanders having amazing games and things like that. But the problem was this. 
like you said, 24 rush attempts, and that's including a Jimmy Garoppolo scramble. That's not enough. You know, one of my keys to victory almost each and every week that you can circle for the 49ers is 30-plus rush attempts. Yeah. Especially whenever you're averaging 4.9 yards per carry, it doesn't matter if they're in a loaded box. Especially whenever you have Jimmy Garoppolo, which we're going to get to in a second, I'm sure, struggling so bad. Why continue to put the the all the key situations in his hands when the running game is working? Jarek McKinnon was adding 8 yards per carry. Tevin Coleman was averaging 4.5 yards per carry. Kyle Juszczyk, 7 yards per carry. It was on one run. George Kittle, 9 yards per carry. <laughs> you don't have Debo or Ayuk. You run a jet sweep with Kittle, and it worked. Uh, Raheem Mostert probably had the roughest day on the ground, but still 3.7 yards per carry. That's okay. And so we saw this in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, and we saw it you know, here. They, he abandons the run, and that is the staple of this offense. And so whenever you're talking about wide receivers that are struggling, a quarterback that is struggling, why not return to what works the best? And that's the run game. And so I, I really do wish he would get it, you know, uh, the understanding that I don't have to outsmart them all the time. You know, it's the keep it simple, stupid. And I'm not trying to say Kyle Shanahan's stupid. He's an absolute genius. But the tendencies of, okay, they're bringing an extra guy in the box. That means we have an advantage here. I'm going to exploit that advantage. Yeah, but maybe you don't have an advantage if that's Dante Pettis and Kendrick Bourne. Um, Yeah, they're double teaming Kittle. That's fine. Run it the opposite way. (laughs) And so I really hope that this is one of the transitions that will be made. Um, and you know, the the, real quick, just flip to the other side, the defensive side, you know, another major critique of this game is the lack of adjustment from Robert Sala. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator. His team is always prepared. He amps everybody up. Uh, nobody has anything negative to say about him. Rightfully so. He's an amazing guy, but he does have a history of not making in-game adjustments fast enough. And, you know, you were able to shut down the zone replay, which was so important for the Cardinals. Props there. But you never spied Kyler Murray one play. And so that's great. You stopped the run, but you never took away the two things that they were trying to do. One, throw it to DeAndre Hopkins. You never double teamed. You never switched. You never changed anything up there. And two, you never spied the quarterback. So the times that you actually did cover DeAndre Hopkins – you just let Kyler Murray run for 20-plus yards on you. What's funny, you bring up Robert Sala, and I'm sure it's not hard to when you look at how bad the defense played, but literally one of my keys to the game was Sala against Cliff Kingsbury. Who was going to be the one to make that adjustment? And Sala was left behind in the dust. And let's get into the defense before we get into Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's tease the audience here and let them soak into all the hate we're giving towards the Niners here for a little bit. Although it is more more of a, a constructive criticism for the team, when I watch the defense, among other things that we will get into, like Jimmy Garoppolo and the secondary, Quan Alexander looked lost. He made a few plays early, and he forced a few fumbles that we couldn't get back. But the majority of the game, he was a non-factor, and I hate to say this because I know he was injured uh, last year in the playoffs and battled all the way back from what should have been a season-ending injury, uh, but he has been a non-factor ever since he returned from the injury. And so I want to ask you here is that if these uh, inconsistency issues continue and he continues to struggle, I think we're going to see a lot more Dre Greenlaw going forward at, at the weak side linebacker 
Is that something you can see and kind of Quan being faded out of the defense, at least to a smaller role? Yeah, uh, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. Drake Greenlaw, I am the president of his fan club. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, I believe that his ceiling can surpass that of uh, Fred Warner, who I consider wow. in the conversation for linebacker one. And so if we just look at the snaps, right? So uh, you have, you know, Quan Alexander's out there for every single play on defense except for two. He got 80 snaps. Then you've got Drake Greenlaw with 35. Okay, the 49ers run a lot of nickel. Drake Greenlaw made so many more impactful plays. If you remember the interception that Tart got was yeah. because of Drake Greenlaw. Um, he is second highest rated player on the defense, according to Pro Football Focus. Now let's look at Quan Alexander. You know, he's only registered with one missed tackle, but he overran three separate plays, two of which happened back to back in the fourth quarter that were both results in first downs. Um, yeah, you're right. Can he cover? Yeah, he can. Can he punch the ball out? He's as good as anybody in the NFL. But so many mistakes were made by Quan Alexander, and he looked really, really tired once we got into the fourth quarter. And so I really wish they would adjust that. There's something, whatever they decide with, and Kyle Shanahan has been adamant about, oh, this is Quan's job, this is Quan's job. But if you go back and you watch the NFC Championship, if you go back and watch the Super Bowl, there is no doubt that the worst player on the field was Quan Alexander. Um, the, a big reason why the 49ers lost the Super Bowl was Quan Alexander. Now you could say, well, he was fighting back through an injury, and it was heroic what he did. I completely agree. It was beyond impressive. However, if you're back and still fighting through injuries and you hurt your team, I don't think that's heroic. I think that's selfish. Um, and I love Quan, but he is not playing on par of a starting level linebacker currently. He, he's just not there. Um, he, he got subpar grades all the way across the board. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't think there should be any doubt in our mind. It should be Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw as the Mike and the Will. And then you have, you know, Quan come in and nickel packages and one of the best linebacking cores in the NFL. But yeah, Quan, he's got to change something. Because it is night and day difference. Whenever you look up and see 57 out there on the field, you know it's usually going to be a positive play. Well, when I look at Quan Alexander and I think of the big plays he made last year, and again, you can't grade someone on all the big plays they made or all the highlight plays they made because if you think of that, Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the NFL, and he's not, uh, especially his performance last weekend against the Steelers. But Dre Greenlaw, to me, you look at all the highlights, all the big plays he made, the interception against Seattle uh, in overtime or maybe it was the fourth quarter to kind of stop them from winning the game, although they did eventually win it. Uh, the big stop on the, the inch line in Seattle, and there's countless other ones. Last week's game, the tip that got Tart the interception. Like To me, when a young player like Greenlaw is making that impact, especially in the passing game against a team like Arizona, who is passing the ball all over you, and we can move to the secondary now, DeAndre Hopkins ate the Niners alive with 14 receptions, 151 yards. He had a TD called back because he was down at the, the one-yard line. And the miscommunication in the secondary was atrocious. You had DBs playing man, you had linebackers playing, or you had DBs playing man, linebackers playing zone. Hopkins would literally run from the man side to the zone side where nobody was. And again, I'm not going to attribute that to all of Quan Alexander's fault because that would be wrong of me. But I think when you have someone like Greg Greenlaw out there, who maybe isn't the best coverage linebacker, and yes, that job probably belongs to Quan because of its coverage skills, 
But I would rather have a playmaker on the field like Greenlaw when someone like Hopkins is destroying your defense every single play and it's being unstoppable, rather than Quan, who is missing tackles while maybe he's not quote-unquote missing tackles in the stat, uh, the, the, the box score. He's missing tackles on the field that are going unrecorded. And so I, I think a, a Greenlaw would be, I don't want to say a band-aid or the fix here, but I could easily see it, and I don't want to push this into next offseason because it's a long ways away. A lot could happen. Alexander could turn it up next week against the Jets and have two picks and just kill it. But I could easily see the Niners saying, you know what, your cap hit's too high. We're going to let you go. we got to extend you know, A through Z, all these guys. Greenlaw, you're going to start next year. Alexander, I'm sorry, you got to go. So I, I genuinely believe that Greenlaw is going to be the starter and almost has to be because of the Niners' cap issues that are going to that we're going to see in the next few years. But uh, let's go back into the secondary. Dondre Hopkins, he killed it. 14 receptions, 151 yards. When you watched the game, what stood out to you most when it came to the secondary problem? Was it Emmanuel Mosley guarding Hopkins who has the physical edge, or was it something else out there that stood out to you? Well, I think a lot of it's scheme and personnel, right? So Emmanuel Mosley's getting kind of the brunt of the blame on the defensive side, and I don't think he should. You know, the 49ers made it very predictable that Richard Sherman was going to be the field corner, the wide side of the field, and Emmanuel Mosley was going to be the short side. So you allow the team to dictate their matchup. Uh, They know exactly they're going to get the matchups they wanted. So you just move DeAndre Hopkins to the short side of the field. And the 49ers, their defense is deep cover three. The whole idea, the premise is this. Bend but don't break. You allow short out routes. You allow uh, kind of the mid-range to the sidelines throws. It's just you allow that in the deep cover three. You're forcing a team to have a 10 to 15 play drive, sustain success, and not get behind in the downs. And the the philosophy is, well, once there's a third and long, we release our pass rush, and then we crush the quarterback, they got to punt it. That would work great, but we didn't convert anything into sacks. The only sack of the day was against Kerry, was by Kerry Hyder, and other than that, they'd force him into third and long, and <laughs> Kyler Murray would just run for a first down. So, um, not Akello, sorry. Emmanuel Mosley actually played relatively well. You look at the passer rating allowed, 86.1. Um and right before the huge busted play, the huge touchdown by um, Hopkins, you know, Hopkins was averaging about seven yards a catch. You can live with that and win football games. DeAndre Hopkins is the best or one of the top three wide receivers in the NFL. I don't think that's debatable. And then you have Emmanuel Mosley, who is an undrafted free agent. Yeah. Is that a fair matchup? No, but this is the NFL. But if you were going to tell me that, Emmanuel Mosley was going to hold DeAndre Hopkins to seven yards a catch. You would be totally ecstatic about that. Then he busted the big one at the end, and Richard Sherman and everybody's been very adamant. They didn't relay the coverage across the field, and so you were in two separate coverages, and that's why that one happened. So I don't necessarily put that on Mosley. That's a communication issue. But, again, you look at, you know, I, I hate to go back to this, the player that allowed the highest passer rating is Quan Alexander. He was targeted four times, gave up four catches, and a touchdown, and a missed tackle. And so the player highest in coverage, Dre Greenlaw. <laughs> he gave up only seven yards after the catch on three targets and had a pass breakup on top of it that resulted in an interception. So I don't mind the fact that you're giving up these short passes, but 
if you're going to do that, you need to make it a little less predictable. Allow Richard Sherman to stay on the short side every now and then on third downs so that you get a better matchup. But now that Richard Sherman's out, I don't think you want Deontay Johnson out there really guarding anybody. So I, I don't know what the next play is there in the secondary that has just got beat up quick. So many injuries over there. Well, I think if you weren't trying to coerce me into the Dre Greenlaw fan club, I think you have with those two stats alone. Uh, I, I may even be your vice president running mate uh, in November with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I looked at it, and again, you know, I'm sitting in a studio, been there since 7 o'clock in the morning running the board for 957 The Game, and I'm like, this doesn't look good. Like, this has the feel of a game where you walk out of it saying, what just happened? How did we lose? And they came out flat. Like The Niners had 10 nothing. The punt, uh, the block punt happens, and they came out flat. The defense played well to a certain point. Like Some guys played well, but as a group, they didn't play well at all. And I think you, know, you got into how a lot of the issues were you know, broken coverages, miscommunication. Uh, but I think one of the bigger issues here was the defensive line where San Francisco, and, and, and even their motto has kind of been build from the trenches, then we'll work with the secondary. And you know, Shanahan got kind of lucky with, bring, with already having guys like Jimmy Ward there and Tart, who he didn't have to bring in, but gave them a chance and they have succeeded uh, in playing. He brought in Sherman, which is kind of the only big guy he's added uh, to the secondary since he got there, unless you want to count Jason Verrett, who hasn't played a game in what seems like forever, um, and who's actually out again. But he said, we're going to bring in D4, we're going to bring in Nick Bosa, we're going to draft Javon Kinlaw, we're going to pay Eric Armstead. And besides Bosa, who actually did play pretty well, he didn't have a sack, but he played pretty well getting pressure, and Javon Kinlaw, who had an 81.4 PFF grade, which was the third amongst the rookies in Week 1, D4 was non-existent. Eric Armstead, non-existent. These guys who they're paying big money did nothing. And so when the guy everybody's saying, and I heard the same thing, was that Javon Kinlaw is not a third down player. He's, or not a three down player. He's not, he's outplaying guys who are being paid $85 million. And I get it. It's week one, but the Cardinals offensive line stinks. So what did you see from the D line and I don't want to say it's a cause for concern because there's so much talent there that can overcome a lot of adversity. Uh, but do you think it was just another mobile quarterback giving the Niners fits? Or was it, you know, the Cardinals O-line was better prepared than San Francisco's D-line was. And Kyler Murray's ability to escape the pocket was kind of the Achilles heel to this defense. Yeah, and you're talking about a bottom five O-line in the NFL as well when you're talking about the Cardinals. It's not a good offensive line. There were several problems. First off, I got to start off talk by talking about D Ford, who was he was awful. He was injured. You know what makes D Ford a good football player is his elite first step. Whenever he's healthy, he has probably one of the most explosive first steps in the NFL. And you can go all the way back to his draft, you know, film at Auburn. That's just who he is. He doesn't have that anymore. Um, the calf issue that he had, he was standing straight up. And immediately going in to try to bat the ball mode in the fourth quarter, third quarter. It, it, he was he was awful. He only got one pressure. <laughs> that's it. And, you know, you're playing 46 snaps, getting one pressure. That's not okay, especially whenever that's your only job. You're not even a run defender. And then you look at somebody like Javon Kinlaw. Now, the stat sheet's not going to say it, but when you watch the film, Javon Kinlaw had a hell of a game. 
uh, more pressures than D Ford, despite having fewer steps. <laughs> and he's an interior guy that we quote unquote don't say he's a run defender, right? So that's huge. But Eric Armstead, D Ford, they totally had terrible games. And again, a lot of people are out there saying, oh man, we should not have traded Buckner. Uh, go look at Buckner's stats week one. Now, I think Buckner's amazing. He didn't register one pressure, and he played almost the entire game for the Colts. So it, it's not just a one guy in there and it's fixed. This was a rough game for every single person besides Nick Bosa and Javon Kinlaw on the defensive line. Um, that's it. Uh, DJ Jones didn't play well. Kerry Hyder actually came in and played relatively well. Um, but there's some major issues. Solomon Tomlis. Uh, very similar to Dante Pettis. Um, again, worst-ranked player on the defense, according to Pro Football Focus, and it showed. He made a couple of flashes, but the two positive plays that he had were wiped away by injuries, so technically those don't count towards the grades. Um, but there's some major issues there. And if D. Ford is not healthy, then this defense, the pass rush is not elite. It, it's just it isn't. Nick Bosa's elite. As a pass rusher, that's it. Eric Armstead, he's he's above average, but without D. Ford as that extra cherry on top, um, outside pressure threat, it's an above average defensive line. That's just where they're at right now. I think that should worry Niner fans of that. You want to make this deep playoff run again, and you want to get back to the Super Bowl and reclaim what you had in your hands for three and a half quarters. I don't want to say it doesn't look good, but when you hear stuff like that, and I'm not saying you're not being truthful, because I definitely believe you are being 100% honest there and, and truthful, that that's worrisome that this team, I don't want to say it becomes the Rams, because I think they have more talent than the Rams did uh, following the their Super Bowl trip against the Patriots, but I think there should be some worry. And prior to last week, I said if D Ford is a pivotal, uh, a pivotal piece in containing Kyler Murray, he was great in the two games last year, uh, and he had a couple sacks, three tackles for losses. He was phenomenal. This year, I say, if he's not playing well against Kyler Murray, it's over. And look what happens. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but D. Ford has to play well for this defense to be a number one, number top five defense in the league. And another person who I said was going to be a X-factor, key player going into the game, and this is where we shift to Jimmy Garoppolo here, Garoppolo played arguably his best two games of the season against Arizona last year. Had some picks in game two, but came back, totally torched them, had over 750 yards, had uh, three three plus touchdowns in each game, was phenomenal. And I said, before last week, Jimmy Garoppolo, he knows how to win and knows how to beat the Cardinals. Well, he made me look pretty foolish. Uh, and and, And now I feel kind of dumb saying what I said. Because he looked lost for three and a half quarters. And I know a lot plays into it. No Debo, no Ayuk. Maybe Kittle's uh, knee injury limited his ability to go out for passes, which, again, was Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. Uh, But Jimmy G's timing was off the entire game. He was missing receivers high, putting them in vulnerable positions. His field vision was lacking in every aspect. He was missing guys that were open underneath because he was shooting for the home run touchdown pass, which I'm okay with him going for that. But when guys are playing soft like Dante Pettis, who don't want to sell out, then you don't do it. He consistently overlooked receivers. All the criticism he had after losing in February, for one week, it was validated against the Cardinals. And 
that sucks watching from a fan perspective, but also someone who backs Jimmy Garoppolo heavily saying, this guy got us there, had us 10 minutes away, and you don't believe in him? But then I look at it and I go, hey, for one week, I can see why maybe you didn't believe in him. But when you watch Jimmy Garoppolo, before we get into week two's uh, preview, what stood out to you most about his performance? And do you think it is a concern going forward into week two, and maybe even later into the year, when the schedule gets much tougher? Yeah, it, it does get tougher. Uh, you're right about that. But and here's my thing. You know, I kind of I have this like split personality thing whenever it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo because there's so many things about his game and even Week One's performance. Like, uh, let, let's just play both sides of the fence here, and I, I think it kind of lets us know where the Jimmy Jimmy G crowd is. First off, he didn't turn the ball over. Right, yeah. the number one critique of Jimmy Garoppolo is, oh, he doesn't protect the ball. He didn't turn the ball over. He goes out, he throws for 250-plus yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles. If Jimmy Garoppolo could average 250 pass yards, two passing touchdowns, and no turnovers, you would think the 49ers would probably go 13-3 and because he's protecting the ball. Well, now let's look at the flip side, okay? Crucial third downs, he couldn't hit anybody. Um, once the play calling got predictable, it, it got bad quick. Now let's jump back to the good side. He gave them a fourth quarter drive to regain the lead after they were down. What if the defense actually stopped Kyler Murray uh, that last drive before you blew the coverage and DeAndre Hopkins goes and scores the go-ahead touchdown? But he brought his team back in the second half of the fourth quarter and gave his team the lead. That is great. Then he goes out and makes some very poor decisions, and you know we lose the game in the end. So I think whatever it is you want from Jimmy G, you're going to get it. There's no doubt this was a bad performance. But again, back just to stat numbers, if you look at the NFL passer rating, he had a much better passer rating than Kyler Murray did in the game. Now once you pass the eye test, the film test, all that stuff, nobody could agree with that. But just from a numbers perspective, Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. You know, I did my positional rankings. I had him right in the eight to nine area among NFL quarterbacks. But you got to look at what he's working with. You got a banged up Kittle who never got one target after he got injured with the knee sprain. You're out your top, what, three or four wide receivers. It's not looking good. Now, if you told me again, and this is the part I keep going back to. If you told me before week one was played that Garoppolo would have 250 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, I'd be like, oh, gosh, we win by 14. Easy. But sometimes the game gets out of control. Um, I feel like we got to run the ball. You mitigate Jimmy Garoppolo. He's the type of guy that's going to win you a lot of games. Look at his record. But he's not going to be the driving force. And if you're relying on him to be a driving force, you at least got to get him targets. And he doesn't have those right now. Play to his strengths. <laughs> Don't exacerbate his weaknesses, uh, which I think is what we saw in week one. So you got to be smart with what you have. Um, he, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Don't ask him to be. That's not his role. Well, I and I think this can lead us into week two. You talked about Jimmy Garoppolo has to have the targets. We look at the Saints game last year. He had Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Mayo Sanders, Kendrick Bourne. They were all there, all healthy. Every single weapon he had was healthy. I think that's, I don't want to say that was the key difference here, but does any Niner fan trust Dante Pettis? So why would you trust Jimmy Garoppolo to throw to him? I mean, I wouldn't. And so, yeah, there's two flip sides here, and Garoppolo didn't play well with what he had. And I get it. Your, your aspirations are sky high. And Garoppolo came out, and I don't know if he showed anybody 
he couldn't do it, but he showed out that, hey, Garoppolo can't win with anybody out there. And I know that's tough, and because Garoppolo came in in 2017 and demolished the Jaguars, who were the number one defense, but it, to me it felt like because that team didn't prep for Garoppolo. They weren't, they weren't ready for that. And they were ready for C.J. Beathard, who, who was awful. But you, you mentioned weapons. I look at the injury list for the Niners, and it, it is compiling quickly. George Skittle, knee, knee sprain, may not play, but is likely going to play. Debo Samuel's out. Richie James, probably going to miss time. With the hamstring, Ben Garland, he did practice today, but it's still questionable. Sherman's out on IR for three weeks. With this one's in concussion protocol. Verrett's questionable, probably going to be out again. When we go into week two, Niners-Jets, both 0-1. Niners, of course, lost last week 24-20 against the Cardinals. Jets looked like a four-win team against the Bills last week. They lost 27-17. With the injuries San Francisco has... Do you think, like, which one is the bigger concern? Jimmy G with no weapons or that secondary facing the Jets who does have a banged-up offense as well? No Le'Veon Bell. Denzel Mims is out. And they're not healthy either. Like, which one of those, which side of the ball is more concerning when it comes to injuries? Yeah, it, that that's a great question. And here's the funny thing. Let's just hypothetically, I think Brandon Ayuk will play this week, but let's just say he doesn't, okay? Let's say he's inactive just for argument's sake. You're talking about perhaps the worst wide receiver matchup in the history of the NFL. To say that these two teams are struggling with wide receivers is an understatement because, you know, you've got, you know, their first, they got him in the second round, but he was regarded as a first round wide receiver, Denzel Mims. Uh, He's out. Now, Crowder is having hamstring issues as well. He's probably going to play as well, but he's not practicing either. So both of these teams, the worst wide receivers that they're going to field, perhaps in NFL history. So there's some major issues there. So if you were going to pick one game this year for your cornerbacks to just be (laughs) obliterated by the injury bug, it's this week right here. Uh, Because as bad as the 49ers are at wide receiver, I would take their wide receivers over the Jets any day. So that's kind of where I stand with that issue. Now, let's do the flip side. All right. Let, let's, you know, you pose the question, which one's worse and what do you got to be worried about? The Jets aren't good at anything. And they allowed Josh Allen, who some people love, some people hate, to torch them through the air. So the 49ers wide receivers, I get it. They're not that good. But I'm not going to be surprised if Brandon Ayuk does play in this game and he comes out and having 100-plus yards in his very first NFL start uh, because what they like to do, their best player of the secondary is Marcus May, but they blitz him like crazy. Uh, the only two sacks that the Jets had last year or last week in week one was Marcus May. <laughs> so their best coverage player, they blitz. And I guess it was successful for them in week one, but – You've got to. There's so many holes in this defense to exploit. Obviously, there's Quinnen Williams, who's a hell of a player. He registered one pressure last week in week one, but he's got to have a great matchup against the interior offensive line that struggled. Um, whether we're going to have Ronis Grasso, who actually played very, very well in week one, or if it's going to be Ben Garland, who's back, which I think he will be, uh, which we that I think will improve the run game. Um, I think that'd make everything run a little bit smoother just because he's called so many games and played so many games at the center position. I think it's going to help him gel tremendously. When we look at the Niners on offense or defense and we see the injuries they have, obviously Ayuk likely going to play Garland, likely going to be back under center. 
when you when you look at the team and say, you know, someone has to step up in the absence of fill-in key injured player here, who is that person? Last week to me it was okay, Trent Taylor has to have a big game here on offense. There was nothing there. Week two, the Jets, let's be honest here, the Jets suck. They just do at everything. Like you said, they sneak at everything. Uh, their, their big corner uh, free, agent, uh, free agent signing, Pierre, uh, Pierre Desir, I think that's his name, he was benched middle of the week or middle of the game. He was awful. And I know he was probably guarding Stefan Diggs, so it was a little different matchup, but one guy has to step up. Who is that for you this week against the Jets? This represents the state of the franchise. It's a rookie wide receiver that never translates in rookie years. You even talk about Debo. It took him a couple weeks to be phased in. You're relying on a rookie wide receiver to go out and be your go-to guy. Kittle's banged up. Kendrick Bourne, you know, he's not really a yet guy. He's a possession wide receiver that can get first downs. Um, and I, I don't mean that as an insult. I love Ke- uh, Kendrick Bourne. But Brandon Ayuk is going to be very, very important this week. Um, and it doesn't have to be in the forms of just wide receiver play. It can be in the form of, you know, running deep to pull a safety out of the box. It can be, um, you know, into rounds and things like that. So I I think Brandon Ayuk is going to have to play and going to have to play well. I don't think his snap count needs to be extreme. I'm going to see him getting about half of the team snaps, but you work him in. You create a little bit of release for the running game to work because you can run against this team. You can do anything against the Jets' defense, but they're very, very aggressive. So uh, no turnovers. Again, and this would have kicked me in the butt last week, but if you get a 250 yards passing, two-touchdown game from Garoppolo with no interceptions and no fumbles lost, I don't see how they can lose this game. Now, they surprised me last week, but hopefully they won't surprise us again. Because, yeah, you lose to the Jets, it's going to be Armageddon around the faithful. It's going to be a rough one. If the Niners thought week one was bad after the loss and the amount of fans, I don't want to say screaming and complaining on Twitter, but uh, I don't go on Facebook anymore, but I saw on Twitter everyone was saying, don't go on the Niners' Facebook right now. It's insane. They're calling for heads. And so and so it's it's kind of crazy to think that you know that was maybe an overreaction, but you mentioned Jimmy G again. I think we're going to see a lot of Jordan Reed this week due to Kittle's injury. But just sticking on Jimmy G, on Sunday, he has a chance to prove last week was a fluke. Uh, he didn't have his top receivers, but now he can prove that, hey, I can win with the weapons we have here as of right now. Um, do you see that happening with Ayuk and Jimmy G bouncing back, having 250 yards, two touchdowns, maybe even more than 250 yards, maybe more than two touchdowns, or... Do you think George Kittle's possible offensive limitations weaken the chance of Garoppolo going off against a weak Jets secondary? No, I don't. I, I really, really don't. Again, you're talking about a guy, Jimmy Garoppolo. He's 21 and six as a starter. Oh my gosh, you want to get rid of that guy? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> and, and who are you going to replace him with? I love Nick Mullins as much as the next person, but look at Nick Mullins' record with the exact same people. Uh, it, it's abysmal. So. Jimmy Garoppolo is fine, okay? You do have to get him some help, but I think we're going to get some of that this week with Ayuk, as we've talked about. Just relax and breathe. Now, the one thing that I would say is a little bit of cause for concern. I think Adam Gase is the worst head coach in all of pro football. Uh, No doubt. You can even extend that probably to a couple other sports. I think he's awful. Um, However, the one thing that stands out about Adam Gase as a head coach is they pull 
two to three upsets every year. They lose to teams they should never they should beat, but they beat good teams. Um, you know, you go back to week sixteen and seventeen last year. The Jets beat the Steelers, which were in playoff contention at the time, and they beat um, the Bills. <laughs> so they can surprise you. I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think the Niners will win and cover. It's a seven-point spread currently. But Adam Gase just does these things every year where it just makes you scratch your head, and it allows him to keep a job, um, which is it's just so gross. Why would you hire Adam Gase after you saw him destroy a franchise in your own division? I just don't understand how this guy got a job, but that's okay. That's me. I'm glad he's not on our team. You remember when we almost hired this guy? Whew. Yeah, because Chip, Chip Kelly was the better option. But <laughs> Gosh, man. But, uh, that is awful. That hurts my soul. Man, it, yeah. I mean, after the Crazy Eyes incident during the press conference, I would have said, maybe we should rethink this even though we just introduced him. But, yeah, I mean... Adam Gase, he's easily the worst coach in the NFL. I don't know how he got a job. I don't know how he got hired. And now, now they're saying Darnold needs to go in New York, and I'm like, oh, no, the coach needs to go. But speaking of Adam Gase, the flip side is Kyle Shanahan. And the all the talk during the playoffs was Shanahan doesn't trust Garoppolo. Look at how he's playing uh, or scheming against Minnesota and Green Bay. And I kind of want to get into that. And now, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Shanahan doesn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. But with guys like Kittle and Debo out, they're not healthy right now. Do you see maybe Shanahan reverting to what worked in the playoffs and somewhat of force-feeding Mostert and the running game to kind of wait till Kittle and Debo are healthy again to kind of hold over the Niners' offense? What do you think Shanahan's saying, screw it, the offense is open, we're going to go in New York, we're going to wipe last week away, and we're going to kill him? What I personally would do is I would want like a 17-7 to game. I think that's the formula for the 49ers to win. Go out and run like crazy. Uh, get, you know, 35-plus rush attempts in the game. And just understand the Jets are not a team that are going to be able to drive up the score. Uh, you go back to, you know, the Redskins game. Sorry, the Washington game last year where it was like a 9-0 game. That's the formula to get Ws. Get the W. Um, and wait, get healthy on the outside. You know you can run the ball. You know you can do that. You don't. And if you're averaging 4.9 yards per carry and you lose that game, that's because of the play calling. Okay, run the ball, protect the ball, allow your defense, which is you know banged up for sure, but allow, make it to where the Jets beat you. You go out and do what you do, and you control what you control. And the 49ers can run against the Jets, and the 49ers defense can stop the Jets. Force them to go above and beyond and be crazy good for them to have a chance to play with you because you have the better roster, you have the better coaching staff, you have the, you have the better everything. Don't play into their hands and try to get cute and throw the ball 30 times. There's no reason to throw the ball 30 times against the Jets. Run the damn ball. Get the victory. Move on while you're unhealthy. No, I 100% agree with you. Jimmy G should throw the ball 20, 26 times a game. The rushing attack should lead the offense. And I think that benefits the defense because they're off the field more. And we saw that again in February and how well the defense didn't play late in that Super Bowl game when Mahomes said, you know what, I'm going to become Patrick Mahomes again. But we also saw how well the defense played against Minnesota and Green Bay because they were off the field almost the entirety of the, of, of the time. And 
That brings me to what I think arguably is probably one of the biggest things going into New York is that last week the Niners couldn't get any pressure against the battle line. Armstead forward, they were gone, they were invisible. When I look at the Jets, this game, this is a game I would have circled on my calendar if I was the Niners pass rusher. Sam Darnold has no protection, probably weaker than the Cardinals have with Kyler Murray on the offensive line. He had happy feet last week against a really good pass rush in Buffalo. If I'm Nick Bosa, D4, Derek Armstead, I'm licking my chops saying this is the game where I make up for last week. Where I come in, I eat this Jets offensive line alive, and I give Sam Darnold uh, the, the fit all day and make him fear for his life in the pocket. How important this week is the pass rush uh, to have a great game with a banged up secondary, and do you think they are kind of, I don't want to say the X factor, but the biggest piece of the puzzle going in against the Jets? Yeah, I I don't think that they need to be like crazy special, but they don't have a good offensive line. I mean, they went out and paid George Fant, who 49ers fans know a lot of because he was a tight end slash tackle slash guard for Seattle. And if you're so bad that Seattle won't resign you as an offensive lineman, um, that should tell you a lot because (laughs) Seattle (laughs) offensive line we know for a long time. So you're going up against people like George Fant. Um, who's not a good player. Now, one of the things, the matchups that I, I'm very excited about is, you know, the Jets did get a hell of a player in Mekhi Becton, who, you know, he had the highest ranked pro football focus grade of any rookie um, on the offensive side in week one. So Nick Bosa versus Mekhi Becton must see TV. I'm so excited to see that. I think Nick Bosa is going to get the better of him. But, you know, you talk about one of the largest men in the sport, and, you know, high pedigree, first-round pick, that's going to be fun. The defensive line should do fine. But I want to watch Nick Bosa on Mekhi Becton, and I, I don't care who you are. We've seen Nick Bosa have his way with David Bakhtiari, who I think is the best pass-blocking left tackle before Trent Williams came back. Um, I, I think that's going to be fun to watch. So defensive line, man, licking their chops. Go out there and respond. You, you don't want people talking trash? You got to answer. Jonathan, I have one final question for you. I believe the Niners win on Sunday 31-21. They cover the spread. They return to form. Even without some of their big stars like Debo, maybe Kittle doesn't play, Sherman's out. But I want to get your score prediction for Sunday's game. And what do you think the game plan will be on Sunday? You already kind of hinted at it. Run the ball, pound it down their throat, and just win 17-7 to and get out of New York healthy with a win. Uh, but what's your score prediction, and, and what is the game plan for you going into Sunday? Yeah, I think my score prediction currently is 24-13. to 13. I don't think the Jets can put up a lot of points outside of turnovers and blocked kicks, which the 49ers obviously showed they have a tendency to do in Week 1. But, yeah, I think you run the ball, and I think that you just play small ball. It's it's you're it's not first one to thirty wins. It's first one to twenty wins. So you just understand that you try to get a score each quarter, and you just slowly, methodically, be careful, be smart, take a couple shots down the field to Ayuk. I don't think there's anybody else on this roster you can really go deep to. You'd say Kittle, but he's so banged up. Um, so I think you just be really, really smart, play action pass, get the ball out, run the ball, and allow your defense to dictate the the pace of this game. So I've got the 49ers winning 24 to 13, covering the spread, 11 point victory there. It sounds nice, especially traveling to the East Coast early kickoff. Um, I would be very, very happy with that. It'd be great to be one and one heading into week three against the Giants. It should be another easy win in two weeks. 
Hopefully Niners pull it through. But you can follow John Chapman on Twitter at JL underscore Chapman. He's a great source for 49ers content. Be sure to check out his podcast as well. It's fantastic. 49ers Rush Podcast. It'll be linked down in the description. You don't want to miss that. John, thank you for joining us this week. Have a great rest of your week. And I cannot wait to see the Niners win in New York against the Jets in week two. Yes, sir. Thank you, Sterling. I absolutely love being a guest, man. Really love the job you do. Jonathan was just fantastic. Please be sure to check out what he does. Niners Rush Podcast. Great stuff. But this Sunday is a must-win for San Francisco. An 0-2 start would certainly be doom for this Niners team. Only seven teams have ever overcome an 0-2 loss to get back to the Super Bowl. And out of those seven, only three have ever won the Super Bowl. So Week 2 is a must-win this week. I think the Niners do win, 31-20 over the Jets. The Niners bounce back, even things back up, go into Week 3, 1-1 against the Jets. Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan work things out, have a better game against New York. They they beat up on the Jets, and they go into Week 3, 1-1. But please, follow us on social media. Instagram is at 49ers.access. Twitter is at 49ers underscore access. You You can get all the latest news and updates on Niner News, Opinion, the podcast, on social media, so be sure to follow us there. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and tell your friends there's a new 49ers podcast out there. This is episode 12. I love all the fans, all the listeners. I really appreciate you guys. And be sure on Sunday, rep the red and gold. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful. Bye.